Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about wellbeing on a large scale, building wellbeing for whole cities or countries. For many of us, looking after our own wellbeing and that of our family is a big enough challenge. But there are places where people are working to improve well-being at a much larger scale. One such place is South Australia, which has set itself the goal of becoming the world's first flourishing state. My guest today is Gabrielle Kelly from the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute, known as SAMRI. Gabrielle is Director of SAMRI's Wellbeing and Resilience Centre in the mind and brain theme of their, they have about seven different research themes. The centre is tasked with translating research into wellbeing and resilience strategies for all its communities. So Gabrielle is tasked with the big job of finding strategies that will improve South Australian wellbeing and resilience. And I think she might be the right person for the job. Gabrielle has had a lifetime commitment to understanding humans and change, and this work fits squarely in that space. Gabrielle was behind the move to bring Martin Seligman, one of the US-based founders of positive psychology, to South Australia as a thinker in residence for six months. Following that visit, she was part of the group that persuaded the state's leaders that this audacious goal of being the world's first flourishing state was one that they should adopt. Today I'm looking forward to hearing more about the work the Wellbeing and Resilience Centre is doing and the progress they're making towards wellbeing for the whole state. Hi Gabrielle, we are delighted to have you with us and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you very much, Denise. So first of all, Gabrielle, tell us what made you bring Martin Seligman to South Australia and how did the goal of the world's first flourishing state come about? At the time, I was running the Adelaide Thinkers in Residence program, and that was fundamentally an innovation strategy to help move the state forward as fast as possible, dealing with some of the more complicated questions that any modern state addresses. And the methodology involved bringing a world leader in a particular area to the state, surrounding them in an intelligent collaboration of people in the state who were responsible for dealing with that issue, and, and through conversation and dialogue and connection with the community, elevating the state's capacity to deal with that particular complexity. I looked at a number of people as possibilities, but really uh, Martin was overwhelmingly the smartest choice because his uh, stature as an academic, his global reputation, his personal uh, power, uh, both as a man and a a communicator and a researcher, uh, was so significant that I thought he was the right person to begin to advance a conversation about whether or not the new the relatively new science in 2011, we're talking about the relatively new science of positive psychology could be applied at scale to do two things, to build, to reduce mental illness and build um, productivity and mental health. That was the question, if you like, the research question for the residency. Would the people of South Australia, the professional leaders, psychiatrists, psychologists and the teaching profession and the community and the politicians find it an acceptable goal to um, use the science of positive psychology to build well-being at scale? So what happened after the, the thinking Mark Martin came and did his thinking in okay. 
Yeah, Martin, Martin came and did his thing. We did have a group of very good collaborators around the table working with us, very powerful, influential actual investors in the residency. And we ran a process over actually three years in the end, but where Martin spent uh, actually three whole, nearly three whole months in South Australia over that two and three year process. And in that time, he interacted with 14,000 people. So he, we, we curated his um, visit incredibly intensively. And, and he did speak to the psychiatrists, the psychologists, the politicians, the teaching professionals and the community. And at the end of that time, it was pretty clear to us that uh, even though at the beginning of the conversation, there was quite a lot of hesitation about mm, well-being, mm, flourishing, mm, is that really real science or is it fake science? There was an overwhelming sense that actually the people of South Australia and the professionals in South Australia would find that an acceptable outcome. So he produced a terrific report in which he recommended many things to the Premier, but one of them was that South Australia could become one of the first political units in a democracy to measure and build well-being. What were the, the next kind of big steps along the journey to where you are now? Well, we there was a huge amount of May a Thousand Flowers bloom activity began, particularly in the schools. And uh, I kept talking to everyone about, can we keep a velvet lasso around all that we're doing? <laughs> not with an attempt to control anybody, but with an attempt to keep some alignment, in particular in relation to the scientific position that Martin put forward. I eventually was able to um, persuade, inspire and attract uh, the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute, a terrific leadership there from the chairman and the chief executive who agreed that this would be an appropriate centre activity inside the mind and brain theme, and the previous professor, Julia Lucinio, also was behind it. So we started inside that structure. That was an important tactical decision because of the scientific reputational capital. Mm -hmm. So it really rooted us in the evidence base. Tell us about your key projects and goals and what you've done to get funding to be able to work on them. Sure. Well, we started with me and two people in an office, in the office in Samri in 2015, but launched in 2016. No, launched in 2015, I'm sorry. And, um, and we set the goal that we would build the psychological health of South Australians at scale as a prototype for the world. The second goal was that we would establish a global reputation as a leader in wellbeing research as fast as possible. And the third goal was to begin to build a wellbeing industry in South Australia. So we haven't really deviated from those goals. But we, all, we see everything we're doing about building wellbeing and resilience at scale as being prototype for the rest of the world. I love because that. I love that model. Yeah, well, well, you know, it's a great, it's a great meaning. Very easy to connect to the meaning of building well-being in your own town, and I find that highly meaningful. Um, but of course, there's a there's a bigger world, there's a bigger world, and this question of how we improve the psychological health of people generally is relevant to everywhere in the world. So we set out to think about what would be our minimum viable products as a startup in building well-being at scale. How were we going to do it? Firstly, first question, what were we going to measure? Second question, what interventions would we use and why and where? And third question, how would we attract enough investment to be able to begin to do this work, even though we were still in the early startup stage of first 
versions of products. So we spent quite a bit of time thinking about which measurement to use. Ultimately, we decided because of the response to the South Australian population to the PERMA dashboard, um, which is people found it easy to remember, we decided that we were really interested in using PERMA as a wellbeing measure. Just to remind listeners, the letters in Martin Seligman's PERMA wellbeing model stand for positive emotion or experiences, engagement, relationships, meaning and purpose and accomplishment. And you decided to add to the PERMA model, Gabrielle. We didn't think it was quite enough. We we knew that the research on physical health was such that if you want to build mental health, you need to be paying attention to physical activity, nutrition and sleep. And we also believed that the science of resilience, in particular optimism, was a pretty critical issue. So we coined this expression, I still remember the day we coined it, PERMA Plus, which is Martin's fantastic dashboard of well-being with a series of plus elements, physical activity, nutrition, sleep and optimism. The, the key language, if you like, we started with and very much inspired by Martin, actually really inspired by Martin's instructions, was to measure and build. There are plenty of countries all over the world, states, countries, and uh, measuring well-being in all sorts of different ways. The OECD is doing it with the Better Life Index, um, etc. But m- many people separate measurement and building. Yeah. Now, I understand why they do that because measurement happens through policy and interventions happen through health building and health departments, etc. But that seems to me a real failure of implementation science and, if, and, and clearly it's not working that well because there are not that many people taking a systematic approach to measuring and building well-being. And that is one of our distinctions, if you like, that we have never separated them. The reason we measure is that we wish the measurement to inform what we will do immediately afterwards to build well-being because our intent is changed behaviour. What are you doing on the building side? What are some of the strategies or interventions so, that you're looking yeah. at? So then when you think about minimum viable products in a startup yeah. situation, you, you, the first question is, hmm, what are we going to do? We were looking for something that was clearly connected to the evidence base. So when we looked around the world for well-being interventions at scale, We very quickly, and again supported by Martin Seligman and Brigadier General Rhonda Cornham, who was a colleague of Martin Seligman's, and I'll explain that in a moment, Um, we found ourselves taking a good solid look at the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program that was developed by the University of Pennsylvania and Professor Martin Seligman and his colleagues at UPenn um, with Dr Cornham, who was the director of the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program. And that was the biggest largest scale intervention that had a solid evidence base behind it that we could find. We decided that we would um, follow along the trail of the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program, which led us to, um, again introduced by Martin Seligman, the tech, what was called the TechWorks Company in America and is now just being renamed as 49 North. So we have licensed a resilience training program, which is not the same resilience training program as was developed for the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program, but it has some similarities of intent. We really liked it. And the reason we liked it is that we did believe that it was scalable. And we believed it because we it, it has the feeling of a CPR training. And what I say to our students, and we've trained maybe now 5,000 people in this training uh, as we've licensed it for Australasia. And what I say to our students when they're beginning their training is, look, you don't go to CPR training and um, leave the room and come out and say, I'm going to put my own spin on this. 
you learn CPR training and you try and remember what the science tells you to do. And what I really liked about what the 49 North Company had developed in their resilience training program was that it was very crisp and clear and a little bit step by step, but we found that it worked. And we particularly found that it worked well for men. So tell us, because, you know, we think about um, delivering a product to, boom, to South Australia. But how did you, how do you stratify? I mean, presumably there is different work being done in education. There is different work being done in health and manufacturing. How did you decide how to reach people? We had to think about scale. We had to think about um, vectors. So we've suddenly started thinking about how whole state as a series of vectors. School is a vector. A bank is a vector. An insurance company is a vector. An aged care institution is a vector. A health department is a vector. Uh, Health department staff are vectors into the community. So we started really looking at that viral transmission. Nice. How do viruses spread? And we wanted to spread the positive virus of good psychological health and an appetite for psychological health. So we knew that we had to transmit concepts, firstly, that psychological health can be built, and secondly, that the concepts of it could, be, could, could move into the, into the culture of the society. And we were encouraged by the history of public health, really encouraged, for example, by the slip-slop-slap story of, of, um, of Australia. That concept of... Uh, taking the science and creating some language and conceptual frames around it and treating them as a marketing meme is what was done for keeping the the um, skin health of, of Australians uh, in the sun good. Um, so it was based on science, but it was turned into a meme and then turned into a marketing brand. So we thought that we'd like to think about whether we could do a similar thing using Perma Plus with psychological health assets. Now, we, the jury is still out on that. And what do you think? Are you, have you got something like Slip Slop Slap you can share? Well, you know, we've got video interviews with quite a range of people across the life course, and I, I've, I omitted to say that life course uh, mm. interventions, measurement and interventions is part of our intent, and we are doing that. So we're working with older populations, manufacturing populations, banks, etc., and children at school and teachers at school. But, yeah, we've got young girls at age 10 saying in a list, Yes, I've learned to I've learned to pay attention to gratitude. I've got good perma. I make sure I pay it forward. So she speaks in that way. I've got a woman of 102 who says things like, "Since I've learned resilience skills, my consciousness of my life has changed for the better." Uh, we've got older men saying, "I'm using that perma system." So the, one of the first challenges for population psychological health at scale is to improve the knowledge of the broad community about what is psychological health and so we found when we first ran the resilience training course with a manufacturing group you can imagine how freaked out I was on that day I've licensed the I've licensed it, we've done the due diligence, we've done the lit searches, we've made the decision, we've got our first intervention product and we're running it to a group of manufacturers who've already lost their jobs but they're still in work for one more year because you may or may not know that the car industry in Australia died in 2017 and they were our first group that we ran our resilience training course for and the first day they sat back with their their, uh, shoulders up around their ears and their arms folded and I was thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, maybe this isn't going to work, etc. But 
on day two, shoulders down, arms open, fully engaged. And on day four, they're talking about uh, psych- uh, emotional self-regulation, talking about um, uh, um, ETR and cognitive behavioural uh, theory, and they're talking about it as if they'd known about it for their whole lives. So what we have found is older people, many of whom have never been trained in any psychological constructs, find it very easy to pick up these concepts and manufacturers, um, et cetera, too. So we're having a great success with, we've certainly proven that actually people broadly of all ages in many circumstances can easily absorb new information about psychological health. So so our challenge as translators of that science is to find the language and find the narrative and find the vision and find the the, the 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 personal goals that people have for their own lives. So then it's a question of how do we deliver opportunities to communicate concepts about how to do it that people find enticing. And, and that's really, I guess, my next question, which is if I was a South Australian citizen, what mm. would I notice being done differently? What difference would be happening for me? Well, you would notice that in this recent election where there's been a change of government, there is now, uh, instead of there being an SA health department, there's a health uh, department of health and wellbeing. Um, As far as I know, that's big. That's big. So wellbeing is not a dirty word in South Australia. So we've not finished our job here, but we're finding that the ripples of communication between older and younger school children and their parents are starting to have impact. So you're saying, so there's, did you say about 5,000 people have been trained? About that, slightly less than that, but more, more than that if you take into account the train-the-trainer approach. Oh. The core of our work is about sustained embedding of new psychologically healthy practices in systems and in people. So as we draw to a close here now, Gabrielle, tell me, if you could only do one thing to help people um, for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, I'm doing it. That's so lovely to be able to say that. You are, you are actually living your mission. You are oh, absolutely. totally and aligned. I, I mean, I arrived at this decision to do this on the basis of my mission, which is very clearly established in my, my, my mind and which I've been using for 15 years to steer my life. And so my interest in well-being at scale, my interest in scale and impact of, is, is about my mission in life, which is to contribute to the positive evolution of the world. That's a nice lead-in to our last question, Gabrielle, which is, so what's your go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being when you feel frustrated or down or you're coping with the particular um, form of hell that is some, some, some start-up moments? Yeah, yeah, what works, yeah. what works yeah. for you? Or, yeah, or or an or an impossible mission. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I, they vary. Uh, of course, keeping a level of physical fitness is important, um, and I'm doing that now. Well, I ditched, I dipped for a while. I wasn't doing that well enough for a while, and suffered because of it. But I've got a good practice going on in that area again now. Um, but I read something at Christmas. To, I try to look for freshening ideas because you get bored with the same thing. But I read a book in the summertime when I was um, really relaxing on a beach and it said it said something like I try to – somebody said to somebody else in the book, um, 
you look always happy. Why are you so happy or how come you always look so happy? And the guy said in response, oh, no, I'm not always so happy, but I try to put myself in the way of happiness. And I thought that was fabulous, that every day I try to put myself in the way of happiness. I know what makes me happy and well. I know that spending time with my grandchildren makes me smile. Which, by the way, is completely aligned with Barbara Fredrickson's research around it's one thing... To, to generate positive emotion can be hard work. To turn negative emotion into positive emotion can be hard work. But if we put ourselves, she literally talks about that idea of putting ourselves in the way of happiness as um, putting ourselves in the situations where we know positive emotions will arise. Yeah, but yeah, I like yeah. your description better. Around, you know, This is about finding the language, putting yeah. ourselves in the way of yeah. happiness. Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I really, I read it and I just went, wow, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do more of that. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing this year and so far so good. Yeah, and I think sometimes we have to find, catch the language as it flies past us and, and we notice it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking earlier when you were talking about um, memes and that kind of thing that I've been talking to Grant Ricks who developed a really popular mindfulness program in New Zealand in schools and when they were doing some research on it and they were talking to the students one of the students said yeah the most thing the most important thing I got from it was just remembering pause breathe smile yes yes and and so that's what they call the program Yes, yeah, beautiful. And, that, and that's exactly the point, isn't it? It's the mm-hmm. translation of the science into everyday concepts and language that people are going to be thrilled to use mm-hmm. and carry with them for the rest of their lives. Yep. So from today, I think I will be encouraging myself and everybody else to get in the way, put yourself in the way of happiness. Yeah. Good. Good. Gabrielle, Good. thank you so much for talking to us. It's been a real pleasure and, um, and an inspiration to hear about the work that you're doing and your commitment to it. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Gabrielle emphasizes that if we want to make large scale well-being change, we need to have well-being models and language that people can really relate to. We can use well-being and resilience training to get the message out there. And this takes time. The same applies whether we're trying to improve well-being for ourselves, our family or our community. This week, I'll be following Gabrielle's advice and looking for options to put myself in the way of happiness. Hopefully, I'll keep tripping over it. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to listen to a podcast of this show, you can find it on or.org.nz or at nziwr.co.nz. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their well-being and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz.